you know, you, you kind of have to understand the impact with having a side gig career in a family and that it's not just you, right? Um, so having a side gig will, will definitely impact um, your family or your family time. Um, and it's up to you whether or not that's going to be a negative or positive impact. Welcome to the About That Wallet show number 11, where today my guest is Barnabas, a.k.a. DJ Kong, that I usually call my DJ. But I really had time to dig into learning about side gigs, what it means to him, how it affects his family. And I really think you guys are really going to enjoy this particular episode because um, we really take time to dive into what it really means um, as far as starting a side gig, how can it affect your family, and really just how to get started. I'm truly excited about this episode. Um, I I can't explain it enough on how much fun it was recording this. Uh, So I really hope you all enjoyed this episode. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Back to another exciting show of the About That Wallet podcast. I have a guest by the name of Barnabas, who also goes by DJ Kong. Oh, man, he's hilarious. He's a great guy, great DJ. I always call him my DJ. DJ Kong, can you tell him a little bit about yourself? Bit of a history about me. and um, Well, let's see. I usually try to keep you know, my details private and personal, but, you know, since I know you and I know we go back a few years. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> <Mango>! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we ain't um, gonna talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said mango season in one of your other podcasts, so I'm like, oh, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, that, that <laughs> is- <laughs> Well, um, sorry, go ahead. As they go to tell the audience about yourself. (laughs) All right. So, um, well, I was born and raised in uh, Jamaica, Queens, in New York City, um, and spent most of my childhood and early adolescent years up there. But due to some family drama, um, I spent my latter adolescent years in South Carolina and Florida. In South Carolina, I went to a school called Midland Technical College in Columbia, South Carolina, and graduated with an associate degree in computer technology and a certificate in applications programming. So I guess I mentioned that because, you know, that's tech two-year school. Um, but one of the interesting things about that was the, um, the program I was in was actually under the business school. So I had to take a couple classes with the degree program. And so I ended up learning a little bit about accounting and a few other business principles there. So um, after that, I went to school in uh, Morgan State and uh, graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science. Uh, Comp That's right. Callaway all the way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not the build, not the whole building though. Just like not, two classes yeah, yeah, in the yeah. bottom floor and two <laughs> in the top floor. That's it. <laughs> we didn't own, we didn't own any buildings back then. Um, 
or at least the computer science program didn't own any buildings back then. Yeah, so after I, I graduated from Morgan State, I started working um, as a software developer at IBM. Um, and then near the end of my career with IBM, I decided to make a home and raise a family in the Washington, D.C. area. So throughout my professional career, I've worked for various public and private sector companies across the country. So I guess it sounds a little bit too too technical, huh? I, I hit people with the computer science and everything like that. So um, music tie-in, well, I do enjoy mm -hmm. listening to music. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Um, because it's hard to interrupt, but before you get into that, I wanted to to say that, you know, it's kind of cool that you did a two-year degree before you did your four-year degree. Yeah. Like, what did you pay all that? Like, with your two-year, did you fully fund that or before you went So, to So, with the two-year degree, um, it was, the majority was funded because, you know, when you're going to school and you have these opportunities like Pell Grants and things like that. Um, that they basically paid for um, for the education. Um, I think I had like a small tiny loan, maybe about five hundred bucks from books and maybe a couple couple semesters school. Then I did um, from going to a uh, getting my four year degree. And no offense to Morgan or anything, the program was pretty decent. They had their their share of professors. Um, but I, I learned a lot more applicable skills that I could immediately um, go to the workforce with, with my two-year degree. Hmm, that's interesting because usually you hear like a lot of people give like a bad connotation to the two-year more so than mm -hmm. the four-year. Um, but that's interesting to, to know, um, to kind of keep for a lot of the people that are actually entering college or not sure about college, um, you're into that four-year versus, I mean, the two-year versus the four-year. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. To and that's that's another great tip that you mentioned too, because the, the program, the school that I went to, they actually had basic like engineering programs where you can do all of your basic courses at the tech school, and it would transfer over to other four year universities. So, yeah, if you're looking to cut down, or if you know somebody that's not really sure about what they want to do, don't don't waste your money or your time at a four year school doing that. You can get your credits at a two-year university and then transfer it over nice. for two years. <laughs> so it sounds like you got like a good return on investment by doing that, uh, that two-year. So I probably took the long route because I did some part-time um, uh, part semesters at Morgan. But, you know, I was able to get a pretty, pretty decent job. So, you know, I came up to, after tech school, I came up to um, Morgan and then after my first semester, Morgan, you know, that was my first time in the computer science program. You know, you don't really have the skills yet to, to start work. I don't think you would after your first semester. But, um, yeah, I came up with what I had from a two-year degree, and I was able to get a job um, after my first semester of Morgan. And I ended up staying in Baltimore for a little while. And I use my skills that I learned to basically pay for my lodging and um, my meals, things like that. So, yeah. Hmm. yeah. All right. That's, that's really cool. So, I mean, it, it's just so dynamic, like, to hear how people actually approach college differently. Um, 
especially in this day and age where money is kind of tight and everybody's working remotely versus where you're saying that you can go to a two-year school and actually able to find a particular job just because you're enrolled in the full year that they look at it and they invest in your future that way it's pretty cool yeah yeah so so let's see let's move on a little bit you started talking about the djing part so what what got you interested into that so yeah um you know i and also you know djing is a good combination of music and tech and i kind of enjoy both so um, getting what got me into DJing, well, you know, I, I, I like to say that I started after playing this video game called DJ Hero 2 on the PlayStation 3. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, <clears throat> I fell in love with the mixes in the game, and I remember really enjoying the um, ability to freestyle during the mixes. So I played the game a lot, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Um, I played so much that, you know, I was often accused of cheating by other players, but I could tell who the cheaters were because they would miss that button press or they wouldn't move the crossfade and they wouldn't lose any points. I'm like, no, that's not right. (laughs) They missed. They missed it. Um, But I never used any cheat codes, and I usually beat a lot of people who played at higher skill levels. So I heard that they were canceling the series, and I was heartbroken. And I really hurt myself. So then I thought, well, um, maybe I could do this on my own. So after that, I looked into or researched what it would do or what it would take to do DJing. Uh, While I was researching, I recall another coworker and former DJ mentioning to me that DJing is an expensive hobby. So because of that, I started to prepare myself for the sticker shock, you know, so now, I'm, I'm out. Like, like, how'd you prepare yourself, like, financially or, like, mentally? Uh, it was mentally at first. So mm-hmm. it was, okay, well, don't think that you're going to go out and spend, like, $30 and be able to start, have the equipment you need to DJ with for $30. Don't. Don't think of it that way. Start, for me, it was like, okay, my, I'm not talking tens of dollars. I'm talking hundreds of dollars when I've heard expensive at the time. So I'm like, okay, well, what could I do? What's going to be a, a good budget, so to speak, for me to work with in order to start up um, doing DJing as a hobby and you know, this, like I'm mentioning, this is just a hobby that I'm starting with. I haven't even considered doing the side gig. I'm just trying to figure out how to get on the ones and twos and recreate the games that I love from DJ, the mixes that I love from DJ Hero. So I'm like, okay, well, if I could take about two to $300, prepare myself for that, then I, I think I would be at a point where I'm ready to, um, to start to learn more about DJing. And so that was part of my research was setting, having that dollar amount in mind. Okay, let me look, um, let me go to Google. Let me look up forums. Let me see what people are doing um, when they're DJing. Okay, what's their setup? Turntables, um, mixers, speakers. Okay, that's, how much is that? 
thousand dollars? Oh no, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not me. So I think having that that budget upfront or the mindset that you don't want to exceed that and and really stick to it, um, that that helped me um, get started at first. Um, and also, again, I mentioned that there was somebody else that I knew who was DJing who gave me that bit of advice. So having people um, in your circle or knowing others who've done it, you know, they're your sounding board. Just go to them and ask the questions. Okay, what would it take to do that? Um, how much should I, um, what would I have to devote to to be at this level or to start off here? And so that's kind of what I did to get started. Okay, so I guess we can move on to our second segment of the show, which is talking about those strategies on getting started. So what what were the like the key question that got you going? Um, started down the rabbit hole of like really making your first purchase. Like, what was that like? What was it like? Um, so. By that time, I had done a lot of research, and I figured out for me the most affordable way I could start would be to go with a small setup, something like let me get a board instead of the mixers and two turntables. Let's make it smaller than that. Let's make it all an all-in-one DJ controller. All right, let me start there. Okay, those seem to be a little bit affordable in my price range. And then, you know what, I, I kind of – um, it, I know you'll probably talk about, you've mentioned this in your other podcast where you were kind of doing some bargain hunting a little bit and couponing, but you know what? I had things stored away for a rainy day, gifts, gifts, cards, things like that. So I would look around at some of the electronic stores that I shopped at. Best Buy was one of them. And so I ended up browsing their site and I saw, okay, well, they've got this DJ controller. Oh, it's on clearance. And I've got like a $50 Best Buy card. Okay, well, out of pocket after everything. Okay, I'm only going to be have to pay forty dollars for that brand new controller. Okay, <laughs> let me go. Let me go ahead and buy that. All right. Well, what's what else do I need? Okay, let me get a let me get a, a set of headphones. Okay, that's definitely affordable. Twenty bucks, I could afford that. So that's kind of um, what led me to that was that after I was doing my research. I got some concrete prices that were within my price range. And once I saw that, that was like a green light for me. So I went ahead with the purchase. I said, okay, I got my equipment. Uh, Where do I go from there? Well, let's start training, practicing, working, working on some more techniques. Um, And that kind of leads me into, to one of the other strategies that I kind of made a note of. Um, you definitely have to train, practice, research, and be ready. And so that was something that I, I knew I had to do if I wanted to increase my DJ skills was just get out there, um, start training, start practicing. So um, after I had my equipment and set everything up, um, and by the way, um, the minimum that I found for me um, to start DJing with was that you need I needed a DJ controller um, so I'm sort of a laptop, headphones. I like to hear sound, so I had some house speakers that I was using, but speakers, DJ controller, headphones, laptop, um, that should be enough to get started with. And so okay. once I had all of – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
uh, once I had all of that, um, then I started training. And so I remember when I first started um, playing some songs and working on my skills, and I was thinking, wow, this is a lot different from DJ Hero. <laughs> a lot different from DJ Hero. There are a lot of things that they did for you in the game. Um, and so just having that reality um, check right there kind of showed me that, all right, it's not something that you, you're just going to spend 20 minutes on and get get to level X. No, you, you're going to have to spend more time than that to, to get to the level where you're comfortable with um, DJing. Okay, so I know you're talking about like having some money from like gift cards and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that part of like your seed money as far as like what got you um, that startup fund? So was it something like a combination of like gift cards from like birthdays or Christmas or holidays yep. and yep. a little bit of savings? Did your yep. wife say about this or? <laughs> Well, it was it was all the above. So <laughs> I had I had saved up gift cards, and usually what I like to do because I I'm a tech person, so I tend to do most of my tech shopping during Black Friday. So and Smart my man. my birthdays, yep, my birthdays. Um, that those happen earlier in the year, like the first quarter of the the year. That's when my birthday happens. So I had already received some gifts, and so I was stocking up, restoring that, saving that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it was kind of um, gifts that I had received, but I also needed to um, invest some of my income into it as well, too. So that's to, to, to answer that question. It, that's kind of why I was saying it was a combination of, of both. Um, right. And yes, there will have to be an investment that needs to be needs to be made. Was the wife fully invested or was she just like giving you pushback on when you starting this hobby? I'm not quite sure if she was fully invested. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more like, okay, well, you're off doing what? Where are you going to be? Oh, okay, fine. You can, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if I'm thinking about it and I'm, I'm, tra- and I'm breaking it down now, I think that if because it wasn't something that was going to negatively impact the household budget or negatively impact my time in the family, then it will, I think she was okay with that. Perfect. Smart move on the planning end. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward just a little bit to talk about like getting like your first gig. What made this an actual side business from a hobby? Wow. Side business, the transition, right? After I had done some training, I think I was at a point where I was really ready to um, to DJ. And so that's the other thing that kind of that training and practice and research does for you, kind of helps boost your confidence level. So, you know, I can recall remembering, remember hearing um, other DJs on the radio and my mindset changed from, you know what, I'm, wow, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not on their level. And then, you know, I started hearing some of the mistakes that they were making, um, which were the same things that I was doing in my earlier practice sets. And so then I was like, well, I can certainly do better than that. So um, (laughs) that kind of gave me the the confidence boost to actually showcase my skills or things that I had learned from training. And so there were two moments 
that helped my decision to transition from hobby to side gig. Um, the first one was playing to a small crowd at a barbecue that I hosted. So that night, I remember playing a few songs, and I had a kind of a set list in mind. And so when I went through that set list, I played the songs, and then I stopped. Um, and then I was surprised because other people that were listening, they were angry because I stopped playing the music. <laughs> and so after that, I quickly kind of queued up some more music and continued playing. And so that was the, the first uh, moment for me that let me know that my skills were definitely good enough to be appreciated um, by others. So the, the second was when I was playing to a larger crowd with mostly strangers for the first time. And this was also my first out of town gig and the first one where I actually rented equipment. So when I got there, I recognized a handful of friends. I spoke to them, uh, set up, and then I went to work. So as I was going through my sets and playing some songs, I could tell the people were enjoying the music. They even occasionally shouted to say that I was doing a good job. Now, usually most people, when they hear about a DJ, like, are you like just putting a list, a pre-made list of songs and just hitting play? Or are you actually mixing them in together? Like what, what does that really look like? So, doing that? and, and I, I think kind of what I'm understanding is you, the question um, goes more into the prep work um, okay. of making a set or building, um, building a, a playlist for your gigs. So early when I was getting started um, and playing these gigs, most of the people that I knew, they we had similar taste of music. So things that I would listen to would be the same things that they would listen to. So it was a little bit easier for me to kind of pick and choose songs because they were familiar with the genres or the, the type of music that I liked. Um, and so that's what I did at first. I started picking some songs out. Okay, well, I know they're like this or I know they're like that. Um, later on, as I started doing more gigs, that kind of changed. Um, and then I kind of started to tailor it a little bit more towards the clientele. And that kind of goes towards another topic later, which is really understanding who you're playing for or who you're, you're playing to. Um, but to answer that question at first, yeah. I, I picked songs that I was familiar with, but later on as I grew um, my side gig career, as I call it, um, I began to get a little bit more professional and start talking, communicating with people, asking them, okay, well, what do you like to listen to? What should I play? Who's going to be at these events? Um, do I need to play clean music, dirty music, things like that? Um, how long will the event be for? And so you take all of that into consideration when you're, you're building your set list. At least that's what I've learned so far. Okay, because it sounds it sound like what you're doing is pretty much what a lot of business people do. Instead of like you just putting out your product, you have the skill set to kind of cater to your audience. But if you don't mm -hmm. know your audience, you can't really just throw stuff out there and be like, oh yeah, this party was horrible, the music was horrible but because you don't want to have that image every time they hear your name, you make sure yeah. you do your research. That's really good. Absolutely. And you're, you, you really hit the nail on the head there, Anthony. 
the, I, I guess the, the difference between DJing and a, a few and other side gig businesses is that I'm, I'm playing music. We're all still catering to our clientele. We have to, we have to do that. We have to understand who, who we're serving in our businesses. If you're not doing that, then I, I, I really have a hard time finding success if you're not able to do that. Right. Okay. So I guess from a DJ standpoint, because some businesses is like, all right, cool. We're a car manufacturer, but we only make two door or four door cars. We don't do okay. trucks. So okay. then it's like, from a DJ's perspective, do you actually limit yourself to a particular type of music or do you just, hey, if you go into this party and they called you, you can cater towards that? What type of, I guess, in a sense, what I'm asking is like, what type of DJ are you? Like, right. Are you? Good, good question. I'm going to try to hit uh, a few things that I've heard there. So um, I'll start from the, the easiest one. What would I? What type of DJ would I classify myself as, or what's my favorite genre? So I'm most comfortable um, in hip hop, R&B, rap music. That's pretty much what I grew up on. Um, and then, of course, soul and a few other things um, related to that. But um, and as I started my career, that's kind of where I focused my skill set was on that. And so as you're going through your, your side gig or business, you're, you're going to get approached from other people and you will find that people have different tastes and things. And you're going to get a request from, from out of the blue <laughs> and have to figure out what to do with that, with that request. Right. So somebody is going to come to you and you know, you're, you're playing, you're playing something, something really slow, maybe like, um, at last by Edda James, right? You're mm -hmm. playing that, and that's the vibe that everybody else is. And then somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I need something like, who let the dogs out? Can you put that in right now? <laughs> 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 like, oh, my, my man, everybody's slow dancing on it. You see everybody's partnered up on the floor. How, how can... But you know what, you, you never know. That guy that's asking you for that, he could be a multimillionaire. Or he could own several houses, businesses. He could lead to your next several goods. You don't, you don't know that. So um, by limiting yourself, it's kind of a, a two-way street. By limiting yourself, you know, you could do that to focus on building your skill sets. But realize that the more that you do that, you're potentially cutting yourself out of other opportunities that could be there for you. So for me, what I ended up doing was starting to listen to other genres and figuring out how I can expand my DJ skills to that. So um, yes, I do start, I do prefer hip hop, rap and R&B, but I also try to do mixes with pop music, top 40. Um, more recently, I've got into doing um, to, to Afrobeats. And so I've done a few Afrobeats mixes. I just recently uh, did a reggaeton mix and I've got maybe two more coming. Why am I doing that? Because I want to reach more people. I want more people to get to know my business and what I'm offering to them. Nice. So then that begs the question, where did the name DJ Kong come from? 
<laughs> DJ Kong. So the story is it a story or a legend? Uh, either, either one. So the story <laughs> is <laughs> that um, I'm kind of I'm kind of still a large guy, but I guess when I was a lot larger. Uh, my friends and Anthony, you know some of these guys. My friends yeah. said that I had shoulders that were like King Kong. And right. so that's kind of where the name Kong came out. And then like the next one time, of my... I'm sorry, go ahead. Like your neck size was like 50 and shoulders <laughs> were like 85. There you go. See? See that's, what, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. That's where the legend part comes right. out. <laughs> You're listening to the About That Wallet podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. If you are enjoying this episode or finding anything useful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere on the internet. It is one of the best ways you can help new listeners find me, such as yourself. You can always support this podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash about that wallet or anchor.fm forward slash about that wallet. Okay, so that's where we got the, the DJ Kong crew. Yep, that's where it came from. And um, one of my other friends, he kind of added the iron part in there. So he would say iron Kong. And so I actually kind of use DJ Iron Kong because a lot of there's a lot of DJ Kongs out there. So DJ Iron Kong was a way for me to differentiate um, myself online um, from the other DJ Kongs that are out there. So that's kind of why you'll see a lot of my my business cards and uh, um, social media contacts have DJ Iron Kong in there. Um, and then later on, I'll talk about the future, and I'm transitioning to a different brand after that. But that's where the name DJ Kong came from. Nice. All right. So speaking of the next segment, which is we talk about the futures, kind of like what, like what do you see in the industry um, from DJing, um, from your expertise of what the future of DJing will look like? Wow, the future of DJing. DJ has changed. It's changed so much, so much. Even from when I started, it's it's changed a lot. Um, so I think, as with everything now in this, you know, these these COVID times, you have to have much more of an online presence. So you know what, you have to be willing to go out there, go online, do some shows online, put some mixes out there, promote yourself. Um, that's going to be very, very key in the future. Um, I personally, and you know, I, I hope no one steals this as his business model, but um, I personally think that, and people may already be doing this probably now, um, you can DJ from home. And it's to the point where, okay, you're at, you're at your home when you have your DJ set up and you line up your gigs virtually and say, okay, well, I need to play this set for Club X or this set for Club Y or I need to do a five o'clock traffic mix. So let me line all of that up from my house and then let me just switch the feeds basically. So 
being able to kind of have those technical skills where you can do that uh, will help in that. But I think um, as the future of DJing will be more of a point where you've got a DJ that's from um, one location, could be his home or, or elsewhere, and um, you might not see them there physically. But, you know, if most nine times out of ten, unless you're going to a concert or a show, if you're in the club, if you listen to the radio, you're not going to see the DJ anyway. <laughs> so that's true. <laughs> so, um, but that's that's my thoughts on the on the future. Then the technology is going to get a lot better, um, to where a lot of things are done more automatically, and it's it's there now. I see it in a lot of the equipment um, where it used to take a lot of hardware to for DJs to do what what they could. Um, what they did, and I'm going back to the 80s where you lugged crates of records right. around. <laughs> you lugged crates around, and then you had to have a truck to lug your your you know 60 speakers, and you basically had to set up a server room to throw <laughs> all your audio equipment. <laughs> Running wires just set up took you like four hours, <laughs> and your set was probably the same amount of time. But, um, yeah, things are a lot, you know, as you know, with, with hardware, things are a lot smaller. You can put all of those crates into one hard drive or just put it on your laptop. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. oh. so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so what's new? Um, what do you think you're going to take your business? So I noticed that you said that you started to pivot towards starting doing more online presence. Mm-hmm. Um where do you see the future of your your skill set? So for my skill set, yeah, just expanding more of an online presence. Um, of course, when I have the time to do that, um, <laughs> I'll be making more mixes, putting them out there and, and reaching out um, to others. And so I guess how I've operated has been word of mouth. Um, so usually my friends or friends of friends or acquaintances, people that I interact with either um, throughout my various careers or um, personal life, um, that's where I, I get a lot of my business from. Um, but having that website, I can tell people, hey, or more of a social media presence, I can tell people, here's where I am. Go here, listen to what you want, and then here's um, – here's how you can get in contact with me or just how you can uh, uh, send any requests my way. And I know DJs, some other DJs are doing that now and have done it, but that's where I am in terms of my side gig career um, and my family life. Um, so so mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, to that piece, as far as, like you said, the family life and moving a business forward, as far as the payments, um, as far as the income side of things, like, do you feel like you'll start um, accepting cryptocurrency or is this going to stay with the normal US dollar or how you're accepting your payments now? And so I, I accept, um, I haven't done anything crypto, but I, I accept, um, you know, the, the standard of, I guess you could say, what's, what's the term, fiduciary um, yeah. payments. So, you know, that's cash, credit card, checks, 
Um, I currently accept that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with Cash App, PayPal. I'm with all the electronic um, payment measures, but um, yeah, I haven't gotten into crypto crypto much. Um, but yeah, I I've done that, and I can I will probably continue to do that. Um, and did I miss another part of that question, or was was that it? How no 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 that was it. Um, because it it, it kind of gets you to it gets me even as a, I'm starting out. But to understand of like print avenues to actually generate or mean not generate but collect the income. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that you said as far as the pivot to be more of an online presence, mm-hmm. but also like I'm just trying to think of like other avenues of bringing in the income for you t- so you can diversify your your skill set in DJing. Because the yeah. um, next thing I really want to want to know is, like, what do you see staying the same in DJing as a business? As a business, staying the same. Well, you're you're always are going to have to, and, and I'm probably hitting the obvious here. You still have to cater to your clientele. Right. Um, you have to know who you're playing songs for. You have to actually put time in um, to do that. I don't think there's a way to kind of shut shortcut the amount of time or prep time you have to put in to have a successful gig. Now, there may be ways you can. Um, there may be ways that you can take advantage of other opportunities, right? So um, you, and I'm, I'm kind of in the early stages of doing this, but you can kind of partner up with a few other people or other DJs or kind of make a circle where, all right, I'm not able to get this gig, but I know somebody that could get that gig. And so you can work out a deal where with that other DJ, so such that, hey, look, I got a gig that I know about. If you give me maybe about 10% kickback, kickback, I can send them your way. And so that would be another way that you could generate um, income that way. Okay, so so you see that collaboration piece pretty much staying the same in the future? I, I still do see it. Um, I still do see that staying the same. Um, and then, uh, yeah, still, you still have to kind of go out and put time into your to your research. I don't into making your mixes and set lists. I, I still don't think there's a way to, to sh- shortcut that um, as being a DJ. So those are the things that, that probably won't change much um, in the DJ industry. Um, but um, what will probably change is that there are a lot of, and you, you kind of, I might have hit on this before, but just with technology that changes. So it might be a way for you to get things cheaper or be able to do things a lot more, um, be able to do a lot more things with pieces of technology that would make your um, mixes more appealing um, to other people. But you still are going to have to make an investment of time and resources and decide um, what your cutoff is for that. Um, so before we go to the, the very last segment, um, which is the final four questions. Is there anything else you want to add in? So one of my, my things that I kind of wrote up here was that 
you know, you, you kind of have to understand the impact with having a side gig career in a family and that it's not just you, right? Um, so having a side gig will, will definitely impact um, your family or your family time. Um, and it's up to you whether or not that's going to be a negative or positive impact. Um, so, you know, anytime I get approached about a gig, I get the basic details. Where is it? <laughs> Where is it? What's the duration? And then usually after that, I talk to my spouse about it before accepting it. So why do I do that? Because I want to understand the impact of doing it, doing the gig before I commit to it. So um, when I listen to my wife or respond to it, you know, I take a note of what's important and whether or not I understood um, that would be a negative or positive impact. And so an example would be, well, all right, I've got a DJ event, that a possible one that's coming up. Um, well, we got a trip planned for that weekend. All right, well, that's a negative impact. <laughs> right. All right. Um, or commercially, well, you know what? That lawnmower just died, and we could use a few extra dollars to pay for that. Well, maybe doing the gig would be a way that I can fund the expense for getting a, a new lawnmower. So, you know what? Um, doing the gig kind of implies that you're going to need to redirect some time and resources for preparation and execution. Um, and that kind of means you're going to be taking away, taking that away from something else. And so just decide whether or not that's going to be a good thing or bad thing. And I personally prefer to make it a good thing, but if it is going to be a bad thing, plan, involve the people where it will have the most impact in your decision. Smart man. Couldn't say it anymore. Happy wife, happy life. That's what you said, right? <laughs> right. All right. So, final four questions. What does wealth mean to you? Mm. I, was, I saw this question. I was like, oh, man, this is, uh, this is one to get philosophical on. Okay. So, to me, and this is me. My definition, wealth means having the resources and access that allows you to live peacefully, comfortably, and stress-free. I think a lot of people confuse being rich with being wealthy. There are a lot of rich people, but I don't believe that there are nearly as many wealthy people. So one sports-related analogy that I've heard regarding wealth is that, you know, the players that get the checks, they're, they're rich, those are rich people. Right. Yeah. The person that actually writes the check or owns the account where the money is drawn off of, that's a wealthy person. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's kind of, wealth is kind of, um, I think you have to have a, a certain mindset to be wealthy. Um, and it's certainly, a, it's, it's a lifestyle change. It's not um, like, you, it's not kind of to me. It's not like like getting money. So you you get money, and I think I've heard you say that money is a tool. It definitely is a tool. So you can buy a new tool. Does that make you a tool master now? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> You're going to go out and say you're a plumber because you got a new pipe snake. Mm. <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think you can really say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, having 
the resources and access and then using that to, to make your life better, less stressful, peaceful, comfortable. That, that kind of, that's, that's wealth right there. Okay. I like that answer. Number two, I mean, again, these are no right or wrong answers. These are all personal. So who is the most influential person to you, dead or alive? Okay. So when I think of influence, um, I think of it as using your abilities to make change. Um, and typically, I think there's a connotation with your influence. That means the effect of that on others um, or having others visualize the effect you're having with, with your influence. So as for the most influential person, I'm kind of going talk here. So I'm going to say Barack Obama. Um, And the reason why I'll say that is because when you think about what is he and his family had to do to convince the American public to vote for him, that took a lot. Um, And before that, even knowing, making the decision to do something where minorities have historically not have any, had any success or much of any success achieving that position, um, you know, what that, that takes a lot. And that takes a lot of influence to convince people to get on your side or get in the boat with you to do that. Um, and so change was his platform. And you kind of, if, if you just heard me a few seconds ago, I mentioned in the definition of influence that I had, change is there. But change essentially was his platform. So um, I remember seeing the country fear the change. And then after going through the, you know, the two terms, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of changed. You know, the mentality of the country kind of changed a bit. Some might say for the worse, some might say for the better. But the point is that a change did happen. So um, Prez was a cool dude. Um, he was popular in, in office while he was in office and still is popular to this day. He gets hired for speaking engagements. People stop and listen to him when he's going to have his Facebook post. You read it. <laughs> you pay attention to it. <laughs> um, and I remember seeing, you know, I remember, still remember to this day seeing his ad popping up in Times Square. Um, with his picture on it, and that was a weatherproof Times Square ad, the infamous one that they actually had to pull down. And so that just goes to show you that, you know what, that was a pretty cool thing that companies were like, wow, that's a, that's a dude, he's wearing our stuff, I want to put a picture up of that. Right. Um, and also, whether or not you like the Universal Healthcare Plan, or aka Obamacare, it happened, it got done, <laughs> it's, it's out there. <laughs> that took a lot of influence and convincing to get to get it through, but it happened. So um, that's to me why I would I would say he's he's been the most influential person in my perspective. Cool, cool. All right, the very last question of these four: What is your favorite pastry? Oh my gosh, favorite pastry! Mm. Lemon flavored <laughs> cakes. Lemon flavored cakes. Ooh. And I'm talking two layer with the lemon flavored icing or lemon flavored pound cake or lemon flavored cupcakes. So nice. for me, it's like that sweet and citrus taste. That's it right there. That's it. Mm, man. That's <laughs> yummy. Don't let the white come down here. He's like, mm, who are you talking to? 
<laughs> oh my gosh, I went I went to a different place. My bad. I'm back <laughs> on the podcast. Y'all. Back on the podcast, y'all. <laughs> right. So, and I had to say it's been a pleasure uh, interviewing you for the for this show. Um, so we got to get the the people to come out to reach you, and how can they come out to support you? Um, do you have any like online gigs coming up? Like where where can the people really keep in touch with you? So I've got a Facebook page. Um, I just recently transitioned it from DJ Iron Kong um, to DJ Kong Productions. And so that's that's all one word. And I, I think Anthony, I don't know if you'll have this in the, the podcast, yeah, but I'll put this in I'm sure show. you'll. I'm sure you'll have some. Okay, okay, cool. So the links will be out there for um, for Facebook. Um, I do have a Twitter account um, under DJ Iron Kong, um, and also I'm on Instagram as well too. Um, so you can use any of those uh, to get in touch with me, um, <laughs> even if you want to be a little bit old fashioned. Not as old fashioned as snail mail, but email still works <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can still uh send an email to me um and i've got dj iron kong at gmail um also dj kong productions at gmail.com um you can send um contact me through that as well too and also um on instagram i've i've kind of got some links out there for some of my podcast pages so feel free to jump out there listen to some of the mixes that i've put out and that i'm, I'm working on um, you can also post comments on those those podcast pages um, in terms of um, the podcast hosting sites or the DJ mix hosting sites. I'm on Mixcloud. Um, I'm also on uh, Virtual DJ, um, and so I'll, I'll Anthony, I'll I'll give you the links for that too, so you'll you'll see that in the show notes as well. Or if you go to any of the social media pages, you'll get directed there too. So that's how you can get in touch with me. Well, thank you, sir, for your time. Sure. Uh, any last parting words you want to leave folks? Um, yeah. So as I was going through this and thinking about um, what can I tell people who are looking to do this as a side or do side gigs or DJing as a side gig, um, if you haven't thought about it, give it a try and, and do it. Yeah, you've, I understand you you got a family, but um I think we're all grown and mature enough and I'm referencing probably a previous podcast about boundaries and, you know, understanding your partner too. So we should be mature enough to have these conversations with our significant others and our families. So talk it over, um, communicate, let them know that, you know, that's, that's what you, you have in mind for your side gig career. Um, a couple of things I, I kind of want to want to mention is that, you know what, if you're doing this as a side gig, um, it's something that you should be very, very passionate about. Um, you know, because if you don't, if you don't have that, then, you know, it's going to be very easy for you to, to give up on it. Um, and that's something that you don't want to do. You don't want to waste your time and resources, time especially because you don't get that back. Um, and there's no way you can pay for any amount of time. I I don't care what anybody tells you or tells me. Um, time is priceless. Um, so you definitely want to make sure you're, you're investing that pretty well. Um, also, just a couple quick quotes. Um, 
you know what, and things, these are coaches you've heard before, it's better to try than not try at all. Um, this one I've heard from, I think Henry Ford might have said this, whether you can or you can't, you're right. <laughs> yep, that was Henry Ford. So it's it's really on you to say that you can do something or you can't do something. Got it. Well, you heard it here, folks. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Greatly appreciate it. Um, keep up the good work. Always call you my DJ every time I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I know what you mean by that, Anthony. I know yeah. others have some claims to that too, but that's okay. Okay. For as far as this podcast <laughs> goes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, y'all have a good day out there, and uh, tune in to next episode. And I didn't do a money tip for this show, but it's all right. You get a lot of tips from this episode. No worries. Right, Want me to give you a money tip? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Want me to give you a money, money tip? Money. Sure, I, I, I don't mind. Uh, and, you know, being a fan of some of your podcast points from before, um, this is something that I've done in my, my personal life. Um, when I was looking to kind of finance a house and things of that nature, and I needed to improve my credit score. One thing that I did, and I can't say I'll recommend this for anybody, and it, this will take discipline, is that periodically I would talk to my credit card companies and lenders, and I would ask them for a credit increase. So why did I do that? I, I had no intention of actually using the amount that I was increasing the limit to what I wanted to do was actually boost my credit score. So you have higher credit limits that has a tendency to increase your credit score. Yes, you will take a hit, possibly take a hit on the inquiry, but if you are disciplined enough not to spend (laughs) up to the limit and get it down, it actually looks pretty good for your credit. Thanks, sir. Well, that concludes this episode of About That Wallet. I hope this topic was helpful. If you want to get the latest episodes, please subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. Remember, it is your duty to know about that wallet. Take care. Be safe. I'm out. Peace.